This morning's reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, and I'm reading from the NIV. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. If you will permit me, I would like to pray before I get started. Father, I ask that you would take this time and make it your own. Accomplish your will with your word in your people through the power of your spirit. And in all things, may Jesus Christ have preeminence. Amen. Well, <clears throat> the truth is, I could probably handle today's passage in about two minutes. And I know a number of, oh, my wife is telling me to take this off. Thanks. Thanks, Hannah. I appreciate that. Um, so I could probably handle this in about two minutes, and I know many of you would like that to happen. Um, you know, it's a pretty simple passage. Paul says, I'm going to send back Timothy and Epaphroditus. They're awesome guys. Be nice to them. Let's pray. And, uh, and again, I know a number of you are like, please, oh, please, oh, please, Lord, let that be it. But I'm afraid that's not it today because the, the structure of, of Philippians, it's such a great book. Um, and it's got these four chapters and we're in the dead center and the dead center is a great time to stop and sort of do a midpoint check. What have we heard so far? Because you've got to remember, Paul is just a master at constructing an argument. And there's just nothing, nothing better than seeing him unfold his ideas. Again, forgive me, I I teach writing and and reading texts all day. That's my day job. And so when I see somebody who really writes well, no offense to my 10th graders, but they just can't keep up with Paul. Um, 
But his arguments are so good and so strong, and, and he, he's so full of nuance. And I want to just let you see how he arrives at this place in the dead center of his book. How he gets here and, and what it is that maybe is underneath all of this. Because on one hand, yes, it's simple. Timothy and Epaphroditus are awesome. Respect them. Hold men like this in high regard. He's showing us an example. But on another hand, he's subtly reminding us what actually matters. What actually matters. Because there's a hint running through all of Philippians that some people have lost the plot. They've lost their way. And it's a sadness to Paul. So let's just kind of refresh in case you're joining us. Um, we've been covering Philippians. And in my opinion, Philippians, the, the, really the, the verse that's the thesis for Paul is Philippians 1.21. It is the verse that I would aspire to most in my life. It's my favorite verse, not one I live up to, but one I aspire to. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and that's such a beautiful encapsulization, isn't it? It's simple. To live is Christ. To die is gain. But really what we're going to have to unpack is, what does it mean to live is Christ? That's what Paul is going at here. Well, he tells us a little bit in chapter 2, he says, um, you know, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Alright? So he's telling us, what's that attitude? Well, he had said it in verses right before. Encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection, compassion, joy. Be of the same mind, same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. With humility of mind, treat others as more important than yourselves. He says, this is what Christ looked like. Follow his example. So if to live as Christ is the goal, this is what living like Christ looks like. And then he says, um, work out your salvation. You heard... We were last week. Work out. And that's not, that's not work out for your salvation. Earn your salvation. It's work out. Exercise. I've heard of it. You've seen it before. Exercise. Flex those salvation muscles. You know, Martin Luther's idea was sanctification is simply doing your salvation. The idea that it's putting it to use. So if I got saved, if in fact Christ has died for me and, and saved me for eternity... I should do something with that, shouldn't I? I shouldn't just sit around and go, sweet, good to be me, lucky me. Not really surprised, I mean, I'm kind of awesome. So of course God would want me. You? Nah, not so much. Paul says, work out your salvation, Like, like exercise it, get it out there, take it out for a walk, man. And, and he says, I, I'm doing that. And he says, and I'm doing it to the point that I may even be poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice of your faith. I, I'm, I'm willing to offer myself up. Which again, to live is Christ. What did Christ ultimately do? He gave himself up, right? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see how Paul's packaging this move? Do you see how elegantly he's structuring his argument? It starts out with what seems to be simple. Just live like Jesus. But if you notice, there's a lot of interpretations of what living like Jesus looks like in our world today. Man, it's pretty pretty amazing what some people think living like Jesus means. So Paul says, to live is Christ. This is what Christ was like. This is what you should look like. This is what I'm doing. I'm pouring myself like a drink offering. And he reminds us, what what did God do for Jesus when Jesus poured himself out? 
He highly exalted him, didn't he? And Paul takes a page out of the Father's book and says, I'm going to highly exalt a couple people myself. And that brings us to today. You pick up in verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Now, Timothy was Paul's right-hand man. He was his protege that he was training and mentoring to, to take the church from him, the church that he'd been building with Timothy's help, and to say, Timothy, you're, you're the heir apparent. When I'm gone, and of course in Paul's world, that could happen at any day, right? Paul could, could literally get lose his head, no pun intended, any day. And so he says, Timothy, Timothy's a great guy. Timothy stood by me. And he says, I want to send Timothy to check on you. Paul was under house arrest in Rome at this point, so he wasn't available to leave. But he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. That is a sad commentary, isn't it? Paul says, man, I just, there's nobody like Timothy. In fact, just a lot of people just are not really pushing hard after Jesus. They don't really have the mind of Christ. He says, I don't have other kindred spirits. Now, obviously, we know Paul had Timothy. Paul had Epaphroditus. Paul had Luke. We know that there were people, but he's making a general, a broad statement. Man, when I look around, I'm just not seeing it. I'm just not seeing people who really, really, really are living Christ. To live is Christ. I'm seeing other things. He he references back in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, people who preach Christ for selfish reasons, right? In fact, they preach Christ to aggravate him, very specifically. They want to cause me trouble. They're actually using Jesus as a weapon against another believer. I can't imagine that, can you? Seen any of that in our culture? Two people claiming to be Christians, both standing up and using Jesus as their bully club to attack each other. Paul says, man, I got people, they're just not, they're just, they're not really, they're not focused on the right thing. But he says, but Timothy is, Timothy is, let me tell you about Timothy, he says. He says he's a kindred spirit. We're of the same mind. He says he's concerned for your welfare. But he says everybody else that I look at, pretty much they're after their own interests. It's self-serving. Again, surely we've never seen examples of people using Christianity to serve their own interests. Paul says Timothy's concerned about the other. He's concerned about you. That's what makes him like Jesus. He's concerned for your welfare, not for his own. You know of his proven worth, verse 22, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Paul uses this phrase. He he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. I've known this, I'm an NISB guy, but furtherance is just such a great word, right? It's just pushing the gospel out. Furthering the advancement of the gospel. What is the gospel? Do you know what the gospel is? Somebody know what what gospel means? It's 
Huh? Good news. There we go. Good news. You know where we get the word? Uh, where, where it comes from in the Greek? Longalion. The same word we get evangelical from. The gospel is good news. That's why we talk about evangelism. What does evangelism do? It's sharing what? Good news. You feel like evangelicals are known these days for having good news? Just asking. You think that's what people would say? Man. I mean, does it strike anybody as a deep irony that the group whose name means good news is most often in the news for not having good news for anybody? Good news. Timothy stands out as being like Jesus because he helped me further the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's think, what, what is that good news? Anybody remember? Gosh, I feel like it's a few months ago, but can you hear Linus's voice in your head? Charlie Brown Christmas? Can you hear it? And lo, in the fields there were shepherds. And the angels came. And what did the angels say? Behold, I bring you euangelion. I bring you gospel. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for only those I allow. Only the good ones. Only the people who match up with my agenda. Oh, no. I bring good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. So let's stop for a second and let's just play a little logic game. To live is Christ. Timothy is an example of this because he puts the needs of others, he puts serving others as more important than his own agenda, and he furthers the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what he does. And we know that the good news is for everybody. This is what defines someone who has the mind of Christ. This is what defines someone that we should hold in high regard. Whom do we hold in high regard in the church? Do we hold people who have good news of great joy for all people? Or, or by chance do we hold people in high regard who are divisive? Good news, everybody. Good news. Epaphroditus is a similar story. Epaphroditus was from Philippi, and he had come to Paul to deliver a financial gift from the church in Philippi to Paul. And now you've got to remember, we forget this, right? Because now it's like, oh, I want to give a gift. Here, let me, Venmo. Do you have Venmo? Do you PayPal? Zelle? Cash app? Can I Apple money you? Poof. When the Philippian church wanted to give Paul some cash, you know what they had? They had a bag of coins. <laughs> if we're still moving actual currency in this world, how do we move it? Armored truck. That's armed guard. Why? Because if you're carrying a bag of money, what are you? A target. So it's, you forget sometimes when they were like, all right, we've taken up this collection for Paul. Chink. Here's this big bag of coins, right? Bunch of shekels. We got this money for Paul. 
I guess they would have had denarii, shekels, Old Testament. Anyhow, got this big bag of gold. We got to take it to Paul. Who wants to go? And everyone's like, oh, you know, that week I've got my kids have a soccer game. My mother-in-law's coming in. We've got to clean. I can't, I, I, you know, work trip, man. I really can't, I just. Because you are literally putting your life on the line. Because somebody traveling from point A to point B in the ancient world with a bag of money was a target. And these weren't easy trips. Remember how many times Paul was on trips and there were shipwrecks and snake bites and sickness and everything else. So somebody simply taking money. For us, it sounds like, boy, Epaphroditus, you know, what a weenie. What did he do? He risked his life and limb to deliver something to Paul. That's what he did. And he, gave, he, he apparently survived the trip in terms of robbers, but he contracted some sort of illness. And when he arrived there, he was ill and he got worse and worse and worse. And so his attempt to bring this money to Paul was successful, but it was costly to him personally at the, at the physical level. And Paul says, this guy, this guy is somebody you should recognize as being very, very, very sacrificial. Because again, what did Christ do back in chapter two? He humbled himself to the point of what? Death. To live as Christ and what? To die. Right. See, we've gotten away from the simplicity because the simplicity of this is scary, isn't it? I, you, know, you like to make things more complicated. Well, well I was reading the commentary. What do you really mean by that is... No, Paul literally was sitting there saying, I'm going to have to get down to this level. If I'm alive, it's because there's more Jesus I need to push out. And if I'm not, well, wahoo, I'm home. It's that simple. And what differentiated Timothy, what differentiated Epaphroditus is apparently he took the same idea to heart. And he looked and he said, look, Paul is reaching people. Maybe Epaphroditus wasn't particularly smooth with the evangelism talks, right? But he said, you know what I can do? I'll carry some cash. Who knows? Maybe he was a daredevil. Maybe he was that guy that was always like, oh, nobody's going to take a jump off of that. What? Epaphroditus, I dare you. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he was a thrill seeker. You know what's great? Is there's a place in the body of Christ for every gift to help further the gospel, even if it's not the one you think of as being the, the upfront thing. Epaphroditus brought a gift that enabled Paul to keep doing the work of ministry. And Paul says, man... Again, this is how the gospel is going forward. He's already told us, just me being in captivity, the whole Praetorian Guard has heard about Jesus, man. you got to hate being Paul's guard, right, by the way. You're like, oh, is it Thursday? I've got that, I've got that guy, Paul. He will not shut up. Have you guard? oh, you guarded him too? Oh my gosh. I mean, he's interesting, but the dude, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Wow, it's all he talks about. Paul says these two people represent the very thing I've been talking about this entire letter. If to live is Christ, and Christ emptied himself out, guess what these guys did? They do the same thing. They're about the good news of Jesus Christ going forward. The furtherance of the gospel. So, 
this brings me to really the question I have for us today. In what ways do we look like Jesus? If to live is Christ, what does Christ look like? When you make your decisions about what to do, do you, I mean, remember the WWJD, what would Jesus do? Like, so what did Jesus do? What was Jesus known for? Come on, take a stab. Somebody, y'all are really quiet today. Huh? Hanging with sinners. Indeed. He was accused by the Pharisees. They called him a friend of the sinners. And he said, no argument there. Paul's already reminded us, how far did he go for those sinners? Onto the cross. So, so what should you and I look like? What should the church of Jesus Christ look like? Should it look like Jesus? What marked Jesus' life? What was he about? People go, well, but hold on, Phil. Now hang on, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Just you wait. I know where you're going with this, you pinko. You liberal. I know what's happening here. You're going to give me that God of love thing, and you're just going to ignore sin. Well, you know what? I've read my Bible too. And it says that if the world hated Jesus, they'll hate me too. And if they persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute me. So bring it on. That's why everybody hates me. Because I'm so Jesus-like. You know that verse? John 15. Go check it out. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now, it's an interesting thing. I was studying this week and I was thinking about this. And I, because I, I was thinking about, you know, why is it that we don't often look like Jesus, but rather we look like, like something else, a variety of things, salesmen, wardens in a prison. I don't know. And I, I began looking at this, and it's funny because very often what people say when they say, "Well, the world," you know what the word is here, cosmos, the world, really broad. So I read one commentary that said, oh, well, if the world hates you, what that means is, is unbelieving sinners. The mass of, it used the phrase, the mass of unbelieving sinners. But I just heard him say, those people tended to like Jesus. Did you know that? They weren't the ones who hated Jesus, were they? In fact, they kind of flocked to him. So I, I got here thinking, and I thought, wait a minute, who actually hated Jesus? Who in the cosmos, who in this world, and that can be translated as the system of the world, by the way. Who in this system of world hated Jesus? Pharisees did. That's right. Pharisees, the religious establishment, had a problem with him. It's funny. Rome didn't even have that much of a problem with him. By the time they bounced him to Pilate and Herod, what did they come up with? Guy's a little kooky, but he's innocent. He's not a threat. Pilate didn't hate Jesus. Generally speaking, you know who hated Jesus? Demons who came into contact with him. They did not much like him, right? Get away from me, son of the Most High God. <laughs> you know, They had a pretty visceral response to Jesus. And the people 
who had the elite religious power didn't like him. So let's, let's review again. Who hated him? Now ask yourself, as you defend Jesus, who do you hate? Oh, I don't hate anybody. Oh, okay. That's funny because, you know, I've been online. And I see a lot, a lot of what I believe is hate being passed off as somehow the righteousness of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I can't stand you because you're fill in the blank. Whatever thing you find repugnant, you're the other. And I don't like you. The funny thing is, in John, the same book where he says, if the world hates you, they'll hate me. If they persecute you, they'll persecute me. That's also funny because the same word world is used in another verse, a pretty famous one. You may know it. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So which one is good news? (laughs) What's the good news, O evangelicals, that you have? What's the good news? I, you know what I see a lot? The good news we have is, I'm right and you're wrong. That's the good news I think people believe they have. The good news is that I'm right. And I hope you see it. I'm right. What was Jesus' good news? I've come to save you. I love you. I made you. I'm your creator, your father, your sustainer, and your redeemer. All wrapped in one. That's good news, everybody. That's Evangelion. That's the gospel. Timothy was amazing because he contributed to the furtherance of the gospel. That's our gospel. Well, Phil, then are you saying we just ignore sin? No. I'm not. I'm not saying that. There is still right and wrong. Duh. But I want you to, you know, if you fast forward ahead a little bit in this book, in chapter 3, Paul's going to tell you about, again, about people who have fallen away. And you know what he says? He says, I tell you in weeping that what's happening. I'm weeping over the loss of these people. But that's not what I see. In our church, over sin, I see anger and vindictiveness and condemnation and vitriol. I see Christianity becoming something where people stand back like the Pharisees who hated Jesus, condemning everyone around them. Paul says, I'm brokenhearted, not angry. I weep over this. I think the best example, again, to live is Christ. So what did Christ do when he encountered a sinner? It happened once or twice, by the way. Let's just pick the woman at the well. Easy pickings, right? You go, ah, ha, ha, see? 
got her to admit that she was, uh, you know, a little, a little immoral. Yeah, do you notice he didn't lead with that? Take 30 seconds and dissect Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. What had already changed the nature of the game? She said, how in the world are you talking to me? Jesus had already completely crossed the barrier, the cultural barrier that said, you're the other I'm supposed to hate. He had already said, that line means nothing to me. I'm stepping across. And he didn't start with, how many husbands you got? I know. Don't guess wrong. Don't lie. I'll know. He said, I need something from you. Can I get some water? He humanized her. She was the one that volunteered the information about the husbands and the the boyfriends and everything else. But did he offer her good news? I'm going to give you a drink after which you'll never thirst again. Yeah, you can deal with sin. Sure. Is that what you lead with? Is that the good news? Is that the good, you notice what, when we sing these songs, do you notice when we sing these songs, do you notice what the theme is all the time? Do you notice? I mean, today it was just, you know, everyone needs compassion, the kindness of a Savior. Do you hear the words when you say them? Sorry, I'm not a singer. Forgive me, Earl. I'm, that hurt your ears. I saw you right there, man. It was just bad. I, I so apologize. I really do. I really do. It's like we're sitting there and we're saying, man, I, I realize what an incredible gift I've been given in the good news of Jesus Christ. But I don't really want you to have it because I don't like you. I don't want to have to be friendly with you because I disagree with you about X, Y, or Z. There was a, back in the 1980s, there was a big flap that happened when the uh, a Van Gogh irises sold for, uh, like at that time, the record number of dollars for a single painting. It was, it's been eclipsed many times over now. But this businessman bought it. Um, I believe he's a Japanese businessman, and he bought this thing, this Van Gogh, and it was the most expensive painting in the world. And he took it to his place, um, and he immediately uh, added to his will that when I die, this is burned. It's for me to enjoy. And when I'm gone, I don't want anyone else to have it. And I sometimes feel like we treat Jesus that way. I mean, look at the lyrics again. You did And Can It Be. It just wrecks me every time because I hear my dad's voice. So this is one of his favorites. I mean, yours, you're great, but I just, all of a sudden, I'm reliving some things and I just cry every time, so thank you. Um, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Look at the chorus. Amazing love. How can it be? It's dumbfounded. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? But why don't I have that same awe and sense of wonder that he could die for you too? That he loves you just as much as he loves me. That's good news. That's the gospel. You want to further something? (laughs) Let's further that idea. Hey, everybody. I have good news. 
You see, Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul were all just reading the same script, and that was, I've got to be like Christ, because to live is Christ. And I'll risk everything in that interest. And Christ was about reaching His creation. About sending a message of love, not judgment, as He said Himself. Even as you go through later in this book, Paul's going to say, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Let everyone know you for your gentle spirit. Is that who we are? Or have we, the church of Jesus Christ, become something else? I don't mind being persecuted for the right reason. There are times in history where Christians have been persecuted for the simple fact that they're Christian. And yes, Jesus can be a stumbling block to people. But again, when you look back at his life, the people he caused most to stumble were not the sinners in desperate need of a Savior, but the ones who were pretty sure they they had it all figured out without him. How are we like Jesus? Is what we have good news? If so, let's push it further. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and... God, forgive me for somehow confusing righteous indignation with the good news of Jesus Christ. I fear we've, we've lost the plot and it's become sinners in the hands of an angry church and not one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. God, help us to remember that we are those who have received good news of great joy, that it is astonishing that Thou, my God, should die for me. And that's what we have to pass along. I am no better than anyone. I am simply a conduit for Your love to those around me. Father, push Your church. Reclaim our reputation as the bearers of the true Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And help everyone here to be a part of that. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.